0: Welcome to another Charity Chat podcast with your host Osman Mughal. Today I'm speaking with Idris Patel, CEO and founder of Supporting Humanity, an organization which aims to empower, support and uplift all members of the community. Their current programs aim to address some of the most neglected and overlooked issues: mental health and bereavement. In this conversation, Idris shares his motivation behind serving his community and how his upbringing has shaped his values. We discuss how COVID-19 has magnified long-standing challenges, but also explore the ways in which the organisation has pivoted during the pandemic to meet the growing needs of its beneficiaries. Idris highlights how the organisation has integrated itself within the community, and the importance of representation and lived experience. This podcast is brought to you by a platinum sponsor, Charity People, and here is my conversation with Idris. (music) Idris, thank you so much for joining and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today to discuss the work of supporting humanity and particularly your motivations in setting up the organisation in the first place. So thank you so much and welcome to the podcast, Idris.
1: Thank you very much for inviting us, Osman. First of all, it's a privilege to be invited and to be able to speak to you.
0: I wanted to start right at the beginning of your journey. Could you give a sense of your career before you started the organisation Supporting Humanity and what were your motivations for doing so?
1: So I come from a single parent family and from a very young age I've been involved with youth work so charity work and voluntary work um where my mum sort of have always reminded us about the beauty of life and the thankfulness of whatever god has given us so we should be grateful for what has god given us and never 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 complain about any misgivings or anything troubles that you're going through in life she's always said to us be thankful for what you have because there's people more worse off so um From a very young age, I've been involved with charity, work in numerous different activities. Um, I'm a qualified coach in six different sports. So the one thing I did from from a very young age was became a coach. And I worked with people, in those days, they were called people with special, um, disabled people, but now they're called people with special needs. So I've I've always worked with people with special needs and um, children stroke youth of all ages. So that was from a very young age, and I've always had a passion about the graveyard, so um, I've also been involved with graveyard work. Um, From a very young age, I've always liked to go to a graveyard and do numerous activities. It could be cleaning up, helping dig graves, uh, replenishing graves so that the graves look fresh, Um, and basically, just being part of a burial ceremony because I just think it's really really important to remember death Um, a very important thing for me in life especially from a very young age the one scripture which I've kept hearing over and over again and it keeps reminding me something is a very famous quote uh, stroke a ayah in the Quran which is which means that every soul shall taste death and then unto us shall be returned.
0: And it's quite clear that faith has played an instrumental part in your upbringing and your life. And you touched on various factors of your motivations of starting the organisation. And so for our listeners who may not be aware of what supporting humanity does, can you give us a brief outline of what the mission is of the organisation?
1: Yeah, so Supporting Humanity was formed approximately 20 months ago. Prior to Supporting Humanity, we were doing work without a charity registration number. So we've always been involved with funeral director works, drug burials. Um, My mission from a very young age has been to help remove the stigma of mental health. Um, I've got a very big passion regarding mental health and people accepting mental health as a uh, issue in life. One of the main things about supporting humanity will be is getting people uh, specifically in the BAME community to accept mental health as an illness and reaching out for help and us finding ways of helping them, meaning for depression, anxiety, and especially in today's day and age. Um, I think this illness has grown in a a very big way because our expectations have grown, um, our what I would call patience level has decreased and we are less thankful for what we have and more greedy for what we want. So whenever something's not going right in life, for some reason we go into a shell, a depressed mode. And also naturally some people are born with anxiety and stress issues. So it's important that families um, and everyone uh, realize about mental health um, and start trying to seek professional help and that's what we're trying to do with supporting humanity which is train people up so that at least we can hit the first stage of mental health which is to be out there for people to reach out to us and we're able to talk to them and hopefully relate to them about their illness and then try and try and channel them to the right directions or the right counsellors or the right uh, people
0: and mental health is a really important topic and obviously, after COVID-19 is going to become more and more important. In what ways are you engaging with the community? You mentioned particularly the the BAME community, so Black, Asian and minority ethnic um, individuals. How are you engaging with communities like that to raise awareness of mental health, but also provide suitable ways in which they can overcome their challenges as well?
1: The good thing for us is um, the way we're reaching out to people is through our bereavement work we're very closely involved in bereavement work stroke funeral services work so we help families with end-of-life visits at the hospital so we we build a relationship with family when someone's in hospital not well and they require help in visits to the hospital calls or even um, getting involved with speaking to the doctors and getting a relationship to try and bond between two families explanations of what's happening with the illnesses what next stages are etc so from a very early stage the families and us have a relationship and they build trust with us. Um, but we're working very closely in six boroughs with hospitals in those six boroughs, which is uh, Newham, Redbridge, Tower Hamlets, Havering, um, Wolven Forest, and also Barking and Dagenham. Um, and also we still work within the city areas as well, but these are predominantly a very high fame community areas and we reach out to these people. Recently, we've started a help line for mental health, um, which is starting from 8am to 8pm. We've got over 40 people trained up to take level two and three calls, whereby they can speak to people, help with their wellbeing, um, we reach out to them, and then also hopefully forward them on to counselors for additional additional help if required, or even refer them to hospitals or doctors and recommend that they go to doctors and hospitals for the help they require. But initially try and bond the relationship and try and get them to speak to us. Um, so within the few through the funeral director work, where families are grieving. And now one of the reasons a lot of families don't realize about mental health, especially in the COVID times, is that where previously families were able to when someone passed away we in the Beng community especially with families would come and speak to the family and be there for them for at least for three or four days due to COVID you're now not even able to go to hospitals to visit the ill not go to people's families houses when someone's passed away or someone's ill no go to funerals because of the limited name, number so families don't have the time to grieve or speak to people what we do is through the services we offer of the helpline or even being there to help them with the funerals, we've become a part of their families and try and understand the issues, try and talk to them. Also, if we see signs of help that they may require, then we we would indirectly show them our helpline and recommend that they speak to the helpline or tell them if they need to speak to us, the helpline's available. And that's the sort of outreach work we're doing. Also, alongside that, I'm heavily involved with the Barts Trust Group, um, whereby I go on their interfaith calls, also the Newham community co- calls and local community calls. So we, we're we telling them about supporting humanity in the work we're doing, people of all faith, religions, um, uh, people of all ethnicities. So we, we, we're a diverse group and we're trying to help everyone and anyone because we fully believe it's the humanitarian side that's important. And you've got to realise that everyone's human. And when someone needs help, you don't look at their colour, you don't look at their race, you don't look at their religion, but you look at them as a part of your family and you try to be there to to help them.
0: You're spot on, Idris. I couldn't have put it any better myself. You you mentioned so many great points there, particularly the fact that we know that COVID-19 has brought up many challenges for every individual one area that I wanted to touch a little bit more on is as an organization you've as you said been established for 20 months with a charity registration and you've seen a surge in the the demand of your services particularly due to COVID-19 how have you as an organization dealt with that and dealt with that challenge to be able to meet the growing demands on your service
1: I cannot thank the people of the local areas and boroughs and community enough because initially when we first started, the help was required with the hospital work, meaning helping families pick up bodies from hospital, wash bodies, which we call gusals, and even with funeral work. There was a stage when certain Muslims were talking about burying people without even washing the bodies of doing a gusal, and there was family members who were not willing to come to the graveyard because they didn't know about COVID, they didn't understand the dangers, they didn't want to handle the bodies. So initially, through supporting humanity, we required volunteers, so we reached out for volunteers. You will not believe at this present moment we have free ambulances on the road uh, with over 150 volunteers who help us go to hospitals, pick up bodies and even wash bodies. And even with the graveyard work, we've also got about another 80 odd volunteers who help with replenishing graves, uh, cleaning up a graveyard and then the mental health work is an additional part we've just trained up 34 people for mental health telephone calls and supporting humanity has got over 60 volunteers who are willing to help with numerous different activities so my my point to that is that we've been very blessed and we've been very lucky when we've asked for help from people to come and reach out to us and come and help us they've been stupendous and I cannot thank people enough it's surprising how people from the age of 13 all the way to the age of 60 have volunteered in all different ways so we also done a food project when we first started supporting humanity with a charity number which was um, providing free hot meals to the homeless vulnerable um, the NHS staff we've done ninety three thousand free hot meals and we had over 400 volunteers who helped with dropping off meals to people's homes um, and doing hospitals and numerous different pieces of work. And we raised £94,000 within two weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's like I said, people have been overwhelmingly helpful towards supporting humanity and these sort of communities because they've they enjoy making a difference to other people's lives and they've seen the beauty of when they help someone and someone saying thank you from their heart. And I always say that when you're doing work like this, the beauty of this work is the, the beautiful feeling you get within yourself. You can't explain and you can't describe when you go in, for example, to a neighbor who's um, a 70 year old woman. Who's, she's got no children or they're not talking or, or due to COVID due to restrictions. And when she sees you and that smile she gives you, or the thank you with a smile with a tint of tears through her eyes, the feeling is so beautiful within your own heart that you want to knock on that door again and give her something else. Not because you feel like you're doing a great job and you want a pride and you want you want people to give you a badge, but it's the feeling you get inside your heart and the warmth whereby you feel like you're making a difference to someone's life and you wish you could do it over and over again and and that's why the people that get involved in supporting humanity and the charity work we're doing it seems like it's a bit of an addiction where they want to continue what they're doing and they do it with a smile
0: yeah absolutely and that sense that you get of fulfillment is something that you cannot describe absolutely and something that struck me from what you're saying Idris is as an organization within the last 20 months but longer than that also in terms of how you've been working with your local community, is that you really gain trust both with your volunteer base but also with the beneficiaries that you're supporting and that um is gold dust when you're working um especially in a grassroots level would you agree
1: um, 120% I agree. So basically we're a charity and we're a 100% donation policy charity, whereby none of our volunteers are being paid. Uh, all the donations that come in specifically are used towards the work we're doing. And the beauty of this is it's, you've hit it on the head. So I'm working with the NHS and the Barts Trust at this present moment. I get invited to calls where all the senior management of parts trust when they're having their senior calls they invite me to those calls as a independent charity and for an input and to see how we can get involved and to get to get invited to these calls and ask for opinions and also seeing how we can play a part within the hospitals with the patient's engagement officer role this can only happen if they have Faith within you, and they feel that like they can work with you because they've seen something good that you're doing, and also because they've realized that the community trusts in supporting humanity. So, NHS also to realize that it's not just the NHS that will make di- it will make a difference to, but also the community, because we have an outreach where people are reaching out to us and we can speak to them. And we have an understanding and an agreement and people, things where, so it's, it's exactly like you said, the trust, the word trust is so important. And we've been lucky enough that people are trusting us because anything and everything that we do, it's open to everyone to come and see. So even the donations we've getting or we receive, we've kept like an open book policy, anyone can come and see our accounts even all the equipment we buy everything is there and everyone can see everything we're doing and we try to say to everyone look this charity is not about me it's about everyone if whoever's a part of this charity you are the charity it's not Idris or someone else whoever is doing that voluntary work they are the charity and they are the face of the charity and we want them to be the charity itself.
0: Yeah very well said Idris and I really like the fact that you have a multi-agency approach whereby you're working with professional specialists and you're linking in with them to ensure that you provide your beneficiaries with the best possible support and up-to-date support and an area that i wanted to touch on now is around women empowerment could you just talk us briefly through some of the programs that you are developing currently to ensure that important issue is highlighted in in, in society
1: firstly i'd I'd like to express here one of the first things i said when supporting humanity started was women empowerment is so, so important. Women empowerment within the BAME community, especially is expressed and highlighted. I want our mums, our sisters who are doing a great job, whether it be for bringing up a child to doing work or to do even a voluntary work, or whatever they're doing to be highlighted and then to be shown and realized of what a great job they're doing. Why is it, why is it that today, when you look at award evenings or anything, You do not see many BAME community people being awarded for MBs, OBs, be whichever, be whichever awards. Why is it these BAME community women are not being recognized for all the great work they're doing? So one of the first things I've expressed and I've highlighted, and we want these skills to be used within Supporting Humanity. So the one thing I'm pushing for is the recruitment of women, women supporting humanity, and them to have a major role within the charity. So whether it be in the ops team, the development team, whichever team I want, at least one woman to be within that role and to be highlighted as one of the main people. Um, so what I'm trying to do is push women and encourage women to join the charity and enjoy what they're doing and also share their ideas. So whatever ideas they come with, I want them to be taken seriously. I want them to be considered and I want to try and sort of be utilized through the idea and take it forward and, and use it. So right now what we're doing is a mental health work. Predominantly, majority of the people that we have trained up within our two cohorts, 90% of them are women and women of, like I said before, it could be women who are housewives, women who are professionals, whether doctors, consultants, accountants, teachers, could be anything but from all different backgrounds.
0: I completely agree with you that as a community, we need to get a lot better about championing women within our communities. Just thank you for the work that you're doing, particularly within this area. And one thing that I think is really important in which you said is women in your organisation taking the lead and having their voices heard, but also being at the forefront of that change too.
1: So you have said a very important thing. So if you look within our BAME community, most of our groups or most of the memberships or charities or anything that you see, most of the leaders are men. So they cannot be recognised for the ideas.
0: And I think there's just a small anecdote I wanted to share, and it's uh, more within the international development context. But Muhammad Yunus wrote a book called "Banker to the Poor," and he was a Nobel Peace Prize laureate in 2006. And his idea of microfinance um, is now being replicated across the world. And he had an idea um, back in the the 80s and the 90s to give small loans, small credits to women within Bangladesh. And what he found was by giving them small loans of a couple of dollars, they would produce items within their homes, within their communities, and they would sell them and make a profit. But what he what he noticed was by giving the, the loans and credits to women in the community, the profits made stayed within that community and actually the communities prospered as a result. So there is also not, a moral, not only a moral argument of women empowerment, but also an economic benefit as well. And that idea of microcredit, microfinance, has gained um, a good reputation over the years. Um, to different success levels, no doubt.
1: So we've partnered up with another uh, Muslim charity, and we've been working with them um, uh, in helping them raise some money and do some work. And it was specifically for widowed women or women who have basically got children and uh, and are struggling financially. So very young children. A lot of the women when they come to us they don't want us to give them regular money but most of them will say to us invest in us so that we can do something which will start giving us a regular income so they don't want to become dependent on that charity the charity told me that most of these women when they started earning have even returned the money you know it's like a loan like a debt or whatever on their heads and they've not just got self-sufficient and got feeding for their own families but they've also returned the money that was invested in them even though the charity doesn't want it back or what they've done is they from the profits that they've made because the charity said we don't want it back we've got you on your feet and they've they put the money into the charity to then invest that money for other families for us to succeed we need to change certain things especially within the BAME community we need to bring women and make them a part of our charities our organizations our companies our businesses to also make sure that they have a a voice within our community because they'll be a voice and they'll be encouraging others to also become the forefront of big big things
0: yeah agreed I now wanted to kind of turn to another topic which we've touched on a little bit which is COVID-19 but leading an organization Idris as you have done over the last 20 months in in unprecedented times what do you think have been the key opportunities and the key challenges and how do you think from those learnings are you better equipped to deal with the the challenges of the future but also serving your beneficiaries more effectively moving forwards
1: the one biggest opportunity I've had or we have all had is to understand that there's no guarantees in life and you could be the most healthiest person and overnight you could be gone tomorrow, you could be the richest person, the poorest person, no matter what. But when it came to oxygen time, for example, during COVID, no matter how wealthy you were, how you, not wealthy you were, but the oxygen didn't help you, so you went to hospital. So you could have been the richest person sitting next to the poorest person in bed. The same rules applied. Visitors, everything was the same, like no rules were broken. Realistically, the one opportunity we had was reminding everyone that wealth does not buy you health so health is really important but at the same time humanitarian you've got to treat each other equally be nice to each other um, and life is short so there's no guarantees in life so that was very very important but the beauty also during covid the one good thing about covid was we if we found it a, a lot easier to bring people together and for people to work with us um, the, the reason that is because when we were doing this work people wanted to, when they heard about the work we were doing they wanted to come and also become a part of this work whether it be because the lockdown was there and they had nothing else to do or whether it be because it, like I said this work is a bit addictive once you get into humanitarian work or charity work.
0: What's the vision for supporting humanity for the future what do you want to achieve where do you want to be as an organization within the next three to five years and where can people find out more about your charity?
1: So the first thing I'd like to say is um, the future, which is what's worrying me the most, which is over the last 20 months, a lot of people have suffered with mental health, stress and anxiety, and they've not reached out to anyone, um, especially students who have been studying from home who are at university, or people who've been used to working in offices and now working from home. Stress and anxiety is on the rise, and we need to make sure that we encourage people To reach out because, believe me, if they don't reach out, we we could lose a generation of people through stress, anxiety, depression, etc. So that's the first thing I'd say. I've learned also over the last 12 months and 20 months, and anyone and everyone else listening uh, to this podcast, the one thing I'll say is just because a person's smiling and then next to you laughing doesn't mean they're well. If you think they're showing any signs like of temperamental changes, meaning anger management changes or mood changes regularly, or then withholding from coming out regularly making excuses etc please please try and speak to them and then i encourage them to reach out to other people as well meaning people who are specialists in this world first of all that's the one thing i'd like to mention second thing how can people reach out to us supporting humanity we're on the website it's called supporting humanity charity we're also on facebook we're on instagram we're on twitter um, and we also have a helpline number available honestly like i've said before and i'll say this again we do not judge people we're not here to judge people we treat people and understand everyone's human it's a humanitarian time we need to come together for each other also just because we're a mental health charity if you require any other help like assume someone's homeless and maybe acquired some clothing etc please reach out because we have working with other charities and other organizations who may also be doing this work so what we're saying is reach out to support humanity for whatever help you think is required and we shall also try and help you back by finding the right people or the right organisations to help you.
0: Great message there Idris and anybody who needs it reach out that's the most important thing and I think in the last five years or so that's where the conversation has advanced particularly around mental health in society where a lot more people are encouraging others to talk out and share your stories if you want to too because when you're going through challenging times, whether that be anxiety or depression, sometimes you can't see light at the end of the tunnel. But if you speak to people that have been through it and have got out the other side um, and have overcome the challenges, um, that can give you motivation as well. So great tips there, thank you Idris. And we also like to end with, what do you love about the charity sector?
1: my mum from a very young age the one thing she always said to us was don't worry about what the world can do for you but you worry about what you can do for the world make a difference and even if it's to one person leave some sort of sign or something that will continue and that will be a good deed but also the people I work with so when I'm working with people within this charity sector and I'm helping people I genuinely look at them as if they're my own family and I feel like I'm making a difference in my own family so when they say thank you to me It's such a lovely feeling because it feels like I'm doing something for my own family, my own friends, and I can relate to them.
0: Well, Idris, it's been um, a pleasure speaking with you. Really appreciate your time. And I just wish you all the best um, to take supporting humanity forward. And I'm looking forward to hearing all the successes that you have in the months and years to come. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch to talk about some of those successes as well.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Thank you to Idris for sharing his experience and insights with us today. One part of the conversation which particularly resonated with me was when Idris mentioned, don't worry about what the world can do for you, but you worry about what you can do for the world. Thank you for listening, and that leaves me to thank our corporate sponsors, Charity People, our platinum sponsor, and Forrester Fools, who have been playing throughout and are playing us out now